Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Four powerful prayers for our children. The great Apostle Paul, while awaiting an uncertain future, there he was in prison in Rome. He wrote to his son in the Lord, his fellow minister, Timothy. He said, Timothy, warn this generation Warn the coming generation that the last days will be perilous times. Thank God for those who warn us faithfully. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Perilous, Paul said. Perilous. Look that up in the thesaurus and you get the words uncertain, dangerous, vulnerable. The word perilous I think that would be an accurate description of the world in which we live in right now. And it is certainly perhaps most perilous to the children, to those of us who have a few years under our belt. We've uh, gone through a lot, but we know that the future is not as long as it would be if we were a young child. We think of the perilous times. Now it is fast coming to a point when it's no longer just a cultural war, no longer merely an alternative lifestyle or somebody who has opposing philosophies. We are now referring to physical force, physical mandates for not falling in line with the agenda of this world. Several weeks ago, you may remember that Christians in Portland gathered for a prayer event, a worship event. There in Portland, they were attacked by the Antifa, a large group of crazy people uh, wielding shields and weapons and profanities uh, at the worshipers, all while these Christians were praying. These Rioters became violent. They maced and threw a bomb. I think we actually have a picture of it here. Threw a bomb into the uh, group of children. They threw a flash bomb into the group of children. These children were from the age of four months old to ten. And all, and then they picked up the Christians' equipment, threw it into the Willamette River there. All while. They were saying things like, where is your God now? And the police force were asked to stand down by a woke mayor. Now friends, I think that would characterize as perilous times. Perilous for our children. Jesus said that the end times would be characterized by an exponential increase of sin. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Because iniquity just grows, the faith of many is waxing colder and colder. I would tell you that that is exactly the case in many countries, and America is certainly no exception. I googled just three quick headlines. Here's the first three I got. U.S. church membership falls below the majority for first time. U.S. church membership down sharply in two decades. Third one, in U.S. decline of Christianity continues at a rapid pace. Now thank God, here at the home church and here in this wonderful region, God is doing a great work in our church and we are bucking the trend. But I will tell you, our Lord reminded us that faith will grow cold in the final hours. Governments now, are padlocking the doors of evangelical churches and literally dragging pastors off to jail 
because they had the terrible crime of allowing people who of their own free will choose to attend and take the risk and attend a church service like Pastor Palowski of Calgary taken away drawn off simply because they opened their church now thank the Lord that's wasn't America that's Canada but I will tell you it is no stretch of the imagination to see that would happen certainly in California folks these are perilous times anybody with a reasonable mind even knows that it is challenging more than ever and it gets to the point where you wonder if you can even let your children go out the front door and yet I'm reminded this morning that there is no human way to protect our children against the blizzard of sin. Many today try to isolate their family. They hunker down and kind of get that bunker mentality and move to here or move to there, and try to get away from, get off the grid. But I will tell you, isolation has never worked, nor is it biblical. God has called us to insulate our family from the coldness of sin, but never isolate. In fact, the best way to do that is to give them a prayer parka. I mean, just insulate them against the sin of the day. While we can never hide our family, thank God we can guide our family. And we can guide them with the blessed word of God. The Bible gives us a way to cover our children. The greatest thing that we can do is to pray for our children. There are four powerful prayers that David prayed for Solomon. These are prayers that for the last 20 years I have been praying for my children and grandchildren and extended family, many in the church for that matter. These are prayers that I believe we can do because we can't protect them all. We can't always be there, nor do we want to be. God has called us, however, to put a prayer parka around the coldness of the sin. Now, uh, I look forward to sharing these this morning. And so don't let my voice uh, kind of uh, bother you. I've got all my little precautions here. I've got some water and some tea and all kinds of little things. I've got uh, and, uh, water there. I heard about a new priest. This priest was so nervous he could hardly speak. He was feeling sick. So this priest asked the Monsignor for any advice. Well, the experienced Monsignor said, I will admit, he said, when I'm not feeling well, I put a little glass of vodka there next to the pulpit instead of water. And if I start getting nervous, I just take a sip of that. So that young priest took the Monsignor's advice. And at the beginning of the sermon, he took a drink. And boy, I tell you what, he preached up a storm. Well, when he got back to his office after the services, he found the following note on the door. Sip the vodka, don't gulp. <laughs> there are 10 commandments, not 12. Paul was consecrated, not constipated. And so I hope that uh, this all works out for me here this morning. I, you made sure you put water there, right, honey? But I got green tea and... All right. No vodka. No vodka. All right. So let's pray. Father, I so much wanted to give this message. I prayed all week, Lord, that I could. I'm amazed, frankly, that you've been able to continue as I have so far. It's all you, Lord. And I'll thank you for what you're going to do in our midst. Lord, this is an epic message. It really is. This is a standing in the gap message. This message, Lord, could change entire family trees. Please, Lord, give me the hearing of these people. May they not be distracted. May they sit in their seats, if at all possible. And may they listen and get the message, Holy Spirit, and for those that are online, Lord, would you just encourage them, bless them, let them know that they're loved. And I pray that God will wrap our hearts around this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
Let's go to the book of First Chronicles. David is the king of Israel. The greatest king of the three monarch kings. He successfully led in the formation of a young nation. These were wild and woolly days in the nation of Israel. David served for 40 faithful years, amazing years. Blood, sweat, and many tears. We're reminded again that life isn't easy and leadership is even harder still. The days are winding down where David is no longer going to be the king of Israel. He has already said what he needs to say to Solomon personally, but he has something more to say. And he's going to call the congregation, call the people together to speak about what they need to hear. First, he pressed them to get behind the work of God. Look at 1 Chronicles 29 and verse number 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, my affection, my heart is in the house of God. That's where my heart is. I have of my own proper good. He said, I've taken money out of my accounts, not just tipping. He said, gold, silver, I have given to the house of my God over and above. And then he said, and I like that statement, over and above. Tithing is the standard. Over and above is the offering. I have prepared this for the holy house. Now verse 5. The gold for the things of the gold. Silver for the things of the silver. All manner of work to be made by the hands of the artificers. This wasn't a king who just gave the leftovers. No, he gave top drawer to God. And who then is willing? And I love this call. This is kind of like uh, the great um, call of Joshua. Who then is willing to consecrate his service <coughs> this day unto the Lord? The national prosperity was so great at this time, so high, that they had grown and many people had been very successful. And so he was challenging them. He said, I want you to think eternally. Think big picture. Yes, you can have your estates. Yes, you can leave some things to your family and that's all well and good. But what are you gonna do with the bulk of that estate? Do you really feel like it's wise just to fritter it away or do this or that? He said, think eternally. For me, he said, I've given my gold. It's kind of like you hear some of these billionaires saying, I'm giving it all away. That's kind of what David is saying here is I'm giving it away to the work of God. And I just want to say this this morning. I know that sometimes uh, it seems like there's not a big connection between a building and people, between uh, a maintenance building and, you know, giving to the poor or something like that. But I remind you that God connects the two so often. And here David is saying, my heart is in the building of this vision so that we can minister for years to come to people. You give something away for food for a belly, it's good for maybe one time, but these things are long-term benefits and blessings to the people of God. It's kind of like a scalpel, you know, really an unexciting instrument, but in the hands of a skilled surgeon, it can be so used of God. And God knew what a temple would do for his nation. David said long enough that we haven't had a building for our serving God. And so he put his uh, heart behind the work of God. Number two, he pressed them to get behind the man of God. Get behind the man of God. His son Solomon was now coming to the kingdom. He was young. 
We're not told exactly how young he was, but we know that he might have been as young as 12, likely in his early 20s. He certainly was inexperienced, perhaps not really ready for all that was going to come at him in a few moments. And so he was going to have some people supporting him and getting behind him. And I got to tell you, it is a powerful thing when people are supportive of not only the work of God, but the man of God. Tonight, I'll share with you, if I remember, a neat little testimony about last weekend and my sickness of someone standing behind that I didn't even know. Here he was, he was saying, I, it is clear, God has chosen Solomon to be here to, uh, for this work, and we need to get behind Solomon. And so he said, I'm going to dedicate Solomon to the Lord. Here he was dedicating his older son to the Lord. And, you know, we dedicate babies to the Lord, but there's really no reason why we can't dedicate older children. In fact, tonight we're going to even talk about that in the book of 1 Samuel. Samuel was older than certainly a baby, but uh, dedicating our family. And look what he said in verse 18. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, and of our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination and the thoughts of the heart of thy people. He was saying, please, I pray, God, you would keep people behind the work of God, keep people behind the man of God. And I will just tell you, folks, uh, always stand with the man of God, even when you don't understand. Now, Obviously, if that man goes off crazy and starts preaching that, uh, you know, Muhammad is the way to heaven or something. Now, no, that's what I'm not talking about, of course. But he said, God, raise up a group that will get behind the work of God and the man of God. Notice in this prayer several things about how he addresses God. First of all, he addresses God passionately. Oh, look at verse 18. Oh, now this is not a mistake. This is not an inconsequential letter here. The idea is one of fervency and of heart. He was crying out. He said, oh God, get behind this man and get behind this work. Keep this forever. Keep it forever. Meaning, oh God, I pray that they will never <clears throat> turn back I love that old gospel chorus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back he addressed God passionately oh number two he addresses God respectfully oh God the Hebrew word there is Jehovah Elohim in Hebrew, Jehovah means a present God, a covenant Lord. Elohim, a strong God. He said, oh, strong God, oh, covenant God, I can count on you to get behind my nation and my son. He addresses God passionately. He addresses God respectfully. He addresses God generationally. O oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knew he was just one more person in the relay of life. And he said, I have got to pass on to the next generation these wonderful Judeo ethics, which, of course, are simply Bible ethics. And David said, I'm intent on not dropping the ball, and I'm praying that God would Keep my son going. He addresses God passionately and respectfully and generationally. And then the part that I think is so important, he addresses God humbly. Give unto my son a perfect heart. Give. I will serve you, Lord. I will do all I can to honor you. I'll do my part. But God... I'm only a man. I'm only a dad. I cannot make my son serve you. I cannot make my children do the right thing. 
I cannot make them love God and obey the Bible. I can't make them. God, this is above my pay grade. So, Lord, I ask you to give it to them. Give it. I can't do that, but you can. God, who can change the leopard's spots, can change the heart of my family. Give it humbly. Oh, God, I admit I can't do this. Any parent who is confident about parenting, you probably uh, need to rethink. I think all of us stand uh, prayerful and hopeful and uh, in one sense confident of God's word, but always with a sense that, oh, God, do a great work for my child. God can incline the heart of my children. He'd say, how does God do that? Well, thank the Lord, we have a wonderful verse from Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs 21, verse number one. We have Solomon as an older, wiser man of God. He said, here's what I've discovered. Now listen to this verse. This is a powerful verse. By the way, a great proof of the sovereignty of God. The king's heart is in the hand of God of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. God can incline the hearts and the minds of our children to actions and anybody for that matter. In this case, the context is a superior, a king, and thoughts which they would have never initially thought that they would do. And then he uses this powerful illustration. He said, just like a ditch tender. Now, we have this beautiful uh, water supply here on the north part of our property. Originally, it was a ditch. And the irrigation district uh, had a man that would come by regularly. He was known as the ditch tender. I have his uh, number in my cell phone, the ditch tender. Now, what does a ditch tender do? Well, um, in their case, they would just make sure everything was flowing good. But I mean, uh, think with me for a moment how this matter works. If they put a little blockade here, the water goes this way. If they open something up, the water goes this way. Never once do they change the character of the water, only the direction of the water. You'd say, well, God's not gonna just change a heart. True, that would not be allowing the free will of the person. But God does put blockades in the way he puts open doors in the way as a result of my prayers. My prayers can open doors of godliness, can open doors of good friends, and can open the doors of uh, all kinds of things for my children. And it can close things, put barriers in the way. One of the greatest prayers that we begin to learn as a parent is that God can give my child and notice what he said, I want them to have a heart for this. Not just something they do on the outside. Give them a heart. What kind of hearts? There are four hearts that I see here. God saying that we need to pray for our children. First of all, a perfect heart. A perfect heart. I pray that God would give my child a perfect heart. What is a perfect heart? A hatred for sin. Look at verse 19. And Give unto Solomon, give. I can't do it. Only you can. I know you don't change his heart, but you put things in the way to create in him a perfect heart. Notice what he wasn't saying. He wasn't saying, God, make Solomon a perfect child. Now, with all the good social media has done, I say that this morning, there's certainly one thing that it is a disservice, and that is all the unrealistic expectations that are generated because of social media. In today's culture, it denominate, it, uh, it is part of our life more and more, and its influence, sadly, often turns negative. I read a recent study from McGuire University, I read it online, and according to this uh, study, that they did on Instagram, they researched the relationship between time spent on Instagram and a person's self-image. 
basically, the more time you spend on self, on Instagram and other social media, the lower your self-image is. That's the overall sense of the study. They examined 350 women, finding that even 30 minutes on a social media app negatively affects their mental health and perpetrates unrealistic body standards, unrealistic standards of what a marriage should be like and what a home should be like. You know, we see these perfect celebrities and we see these perfect lives and we see them smiling and airbrushed and we think, man, we look in the mirror and say, oh dear Lord help me. But you know what, folks, take it from me, I've been around a little while, things are not always what they seem. And I can tell you that is even true in the Lord's work. I've been able to be around some of the greatest preachers and pastors and churches, but I will tell you, it's not always what it seems. And so what you see on the surface, and that's why God says we're not looking for a perfect child, but a perfect heart. He wasn't praying for perfect circumstances. He wasn't saying, Lord, make Solomon rich and famous. Nothing wrong with being rich, nothing wrong with being famous. But he said, I want my son to have a perfect heart. Sometimes parents, and I'm sure they're well-meaning, but they'll have some little bumper sticker like, my child is an honor student. Perhaps that's a, a good thing and a right thing. More often, it might be accurate to say, my juvenile delinquent beat up your honor student. And uh, it seems like our children aren't always as perfect as we'd like them to be. Not a perfect child, not perfect circumstances. He was saying, I'm praying that God would just bring about beauty into the life of my child. The actual word perfect there is a derivative from the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom meaning peace. What he was saying here is, Lord, make my son a shalom son. A peaceful son, a man of honor and integrity and good character, Bible principles, trustworthy. What he was saying is, give my son a good heart. I want my child to have a good heart, sensitive to sin. That's what we're asking for. The, perhaps for me, the greatest thing I desire of my family is for each one to be sensitive to sin. Now I hope that they grow in the knowledge of the Lord, of course. I hope that they grow in the service of the Lord, of course. But the one thing I know that it's gonna be okay is if they're sensitive to sin, I'm good, really. Because I know that I don't have to be around them all the time. They have inside of them this thing that's been placed there that they're gonna be good, whether they're on the job or whether they're on the athletic field, no matter where they're at, they must own it. We want our children to own their faith. Folks, we cannot always be with our children. And we shouldn't actually always try to be with our children. That's not what God intended. Too much uh, trying to you know, keep them, no disappointment, no pain. They call those helicopter parents. Folks, our children need to be able to stand on their own two feet. Because there's going to come a time when we won't be there. But Jesus will always be there for them. And the word of God will be in their hearts. It's so tragic when we find children and our children and our young people not having the faith as a, they don't have a sensitive heart. We're losing the next generation. Charisma Magazine published these alarming statistics. Listen, 88% of America's 30 million teenagers don't go to church. Of the 88%, of the 12% who do, 80% will stop attending before they graduate from high school. Now, true Christianity, from the heart Christianity, not a style, not a status, a heart. You'd say, well, um, what does it mean to have a true Christian and to have a true Christian home? You know, it's, I think we've come so careless with what it means to be a Christian home. I heard of a man who was asked by a friend, are you a Christian? Well, yes, I am. He said, well, how did you become a Christian and why are you a Christian? He said, well, I was born in America. 
And America is a Christian country, therefore I'm a Christian. <laughs> the friend said with a smile on his face, well, I knew of some kittens who were born in a bread basket, but that doesn't make them biscuits. <laughs> what is a Christian home? What is a Christian child? It's not one that has a style or a status. It is one who has a heart that is sensitive to sin. You'd say, well, pastor, how can I get my children to have a heart that is sensitive to sin? Well, thank the Lord, we don't have to guess about that. I think there's a lot of people who might give an idea. But thank the Lord, the Holy Spirit gave us the answer. Let's go to Romans chapter 7 and verse number 9. Paul said, if you want your children to have an inner voice that shouts loud in their, to their spirit, then here's what you do. Look at verse, chapter 7, verse 9. I was alive without the law once. He said, I was alive. I thought I was a very good person. I was so convinced I had it all down. I had all the T's crossed, all the I's dotted. I had it down. I was alive. I was good. I, was, I had my own plan. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. I was a perfectly good person until the Bible came into my life. And once the Bible came into my life, all of a sudden a knowledge of sin sprouted forward. And then I became so discouraged about my life, I became so upset about my life, I began to realize that I was a sinner. Now, folks, that is the power of the Word of God. The Word of God brings up in us this sense that we're not okay. I meet so many people who say they're fine until the Word of God gets inside of them. That's why when telling someone about Christ, the most important thing is to get them to understand that they are a lost sinner. And that's not always comfortable, but it's necessary. I don't think we ought to try to rub their faces in it, but certainly they ought to know it. When I was in high school, we had a chemistry class. In that chemistry class, we put water under a microscope there, and I looked at it. Good, clean, perfectly beautiful water. Have you ever looked at perfectly beautiful water under a microscope? It is not perfectly good. There are little things wiggling around in there. There are little amoebas, you know, things with tails. I'm telling you what, folks, if you saw that, you'd say, well, I don't want to drink that water. That's what the Word of God does. The Word of God is like a microscope. It looks at things that are perfectly good and then exposes them. No, it's not as good as you think it is. By the way, that's one of the reasons, just as a footnote here, I believe it's very important, and I know for some of you who can't be here in person and some that are around the world, but if you can at all possible, you need to be in person and have your children in the services. Why? Because they have to deal with the Word of God. You put them on Zoom, they don't have to. I mean, they can be doing this or that, and for those of you that are at home, you know how distracting it can be. But when you're in church, you are forced to sit here. Now you may be fiddling with your phone or doing something else, but for the, you're getting it still in your ear. And so we are forcing them to look at that water underneath that microscope. Look at the sin. God, that's why I'm telling you folks, the Word of God, when we teach it to them, we have them sing it, we have Bible time, that is the way to get that perfect heart. There's a second kind of a heart, and that is a wise heart. Verse 19, give to my son a perfect heart. Give him a wise heart, a love for God's word, keeping the commandments, the testimonies, and the statutes. Wisdom is good. Wisdom is the right way. Now, education is always great, but wisdom comes from God's word. Look what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it's the fear of the Lord that is where knowledge begins. 
Now, folks, as much as we want our children to know all the things in knowledge, it is wisdom that is the beginning of knowledge. It's critical. Unless they have godly wisdom, then they're not going to really be the person they meant, God meant for them to be. Solomon's father, King David, said, for me, here's what has done it for me. I meditated on the word of God. Look at Psalm 119, verse 97. David singing this great song. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And I will testify here right now, here and now, that I will say this, the greatest single thing that has transformed my life is the love for the word of God. I absolutely love the word. And here I am, older all the time, and I still just absolutely am in love with the word of God. It's just reach, rich and inexhaustible. And so, friends, teach your children to have a love for the word of God. Let me show you how important the word is for creating wholeness. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus was explaining the purpose of his coming to earth. Now, you've read this verse, but you've maybe never read it the way I'm going to explain it. Here Jesus said, here is what my name is. I'm Jehovah saves. I've come to seek and to save. But notice what he said. It's to seek and to save that which was lost. He doesn't say who was lost. Now I do would say that certainly Jesus came to seek who was lost. He explains that in other places when he said he was seeking lost sheep. But here in this verse, he said, I'm seeking that which was lost. Friends, what was lost? What was lost is uh, our minds, our emotions, uh, f happy families, uh, health. All of that was lost in the Garden of Eden. When man sinned, they lost so much. But Jesus came to not only give us salvation, but to bring back that which was lost. Friends, a wise heart encompasses all that was lost at the Garden of Eden. So much more than just having eternal life, but all that was lost. Happy marriages? When you are in the Word of God and you want good finances and good health, I'm telling you, folks, there was so much more lost that Jesus brings. He's saying, and that's what David is praying. He's saying, I am praying, oh God, that you would bring back to my child that which was lost. Sometimes people, and by the way, uh, Jesus said in that verse, I've come to seek and to save. The word <clears throat> save there is the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. It is translated as healing. It is translated as health. I think it's translated as peace in one place in the New Testament. Jesus said, I've come to save people. I've come to heal people, to bring wholeness to people. Now, folks, I'm glad that you take your children to the soccer field. I'm glad you take them to play baseball. But that's not so-so. That's health for their body, health for sportsmanship. But some folks spend hours, thousands of dollars on softball this, and soccer this, and will go to church whenever they can. Folks, we need to turn that thing around. If you want so-so, if you want healing and health and peace and salvation, Jesus came to restore that which was lost. And that's the kind of a heart that I want. I want my son to have a, and daughters to have a wise heart. Lynette, my first dear wife who passed away, she was the toddler uh, director for so many years. And one of the things that she would do with these children is she would give them a Bible and they would hug the Bible. 
And they would say, love the Bible. And they could all, they'd always hug the Bible, love the Bible. And I've often thought of that. You know what? Simple, but perhaps the most profound thing you could teach your toddler. Love the Bible. Whatever else you do in life, love the Bible. Folks, we ought to love the Bible. Go to church and have, teach them to have personal devotions and have family Bible time with them. Pastor Luke has a wonderful program to help you with that. And if we can get them out of the public school, folks, let's do it. Put them in, I mean, homeschool them. Put them in the Christian school. Put them, make sure you're in a gospel-centered, family-centered church. And by the way, a church, be a church-centered family. You'd say, well, what does it mean to have a church-centered family? It means, is that some kind of a weird thing where you sit around with your Sunday clothes on? No, not at all. It just means a place where the home is about God. It's about the Bible, the joy of Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. I remember being in a house of a dear saint of God. And there on the wall was this little saying, Christ is the head of this house. The unseen guest at every meal. The silent listener to every conversation. That's what we're talking about. A Christ-centered, church-centered home, a Bible home. That's the kind of heart, a perfect heart, a wise heart. Now, number three, a sound heart. Oh, God, give my son a sound heart. Give him a hunger and the strength to do the things of God and to do these things. It's one thing to know the Bible in theory. It's quite another to do it. That's what Paul pled with his young preacher friend in 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold fast the form of sound words. You got the word in your heart. Now hold it fast, which you have heard of me. Verse 14. The things which have been committed keep by the blessed Holy Ghost. Our children should obey God and follow doctrine that invites the blessings of God into their life. Folks, we are either going forward with God, doing the things that we're told, or we're going backwards. Several years ago, we went over to the Bay Area. The idea was for the family to all get these segways and drive them around on the pier there. So uh, we did. Several of us got them. I got on that thing. I'd never been on one before in my life. I don't know if you know what they are, but they're kind of a two-wheeled little thing. You kind of have a little handlebars here. I will promise you, it is not what you might imagine. I thought that just kind of a, looks like a fun thing. But basically, you either go forward or backwards. There's not a lot of other direction. And, and the funniest thing is, when you want to go backwards, you push the thing forward. When you want to go forward, you pull the thing backward. I was like, okay, this thing messes with my mind. And so... I did it for a couple of minutes. I said, no, thank you. The Christian life, we're either going forward or backward. We're either doing the things of God or we're not. Solomon said in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, if you're going to have your child do it, they've got to be trained in it. Train up a child in the way they should go. Some people read that verse and say, well, I think I just take them to church. I want to expose them to religion. Folks, you don't expose your child to religion. You train them. Training is a whole lot different than a nominal, you know, exposing them to something. A education expert gave seven ingredients for training an expert learner. I think it's applicable to what we're talking about, focus. Number one, the ability to pay attention. Set aside the distractions. Preparation. Get a plan for them. Effort. Embrace the challenge and step up. Consistency. Mastery takes time. Keep showing up. Asking for help. If a child is to be an expert, they have to ask for help. What better thing that a church can offer than providing help? Quality. The job that's being done must be worthy of time and effort. Repetition. They say that getting to the 70 to 80% success level is rather quick. But going from 80 to 90% is hard. 
and going from 90 to basically 100% of the time you do something right is extremely challenging. Why do tennis stars like Roger Federer practice their backhand hours a day? I mean, he's already gone up to the 80% level, then he got to the 90% level, but those last few percentage points, that's rough. You'd say, well, what are we talking about here? Folks, I'm telling you that the Christian life is training. We can't just do it a little bit here and there, but our lives must be ones that we give them our best and work with them. It can't be just nominal. Number four, a faithful heart. A sound heart, a wise heart, a perfect heart, a faithful heart. Notice what he said. Oh God, give my son a heart to build the palace for which I have made provision. Give my child a heart for serving God. Build the palace. That's what that means. It means build the temple. They called the temple a palace, the palace of God. That was David's passion. For 440 plus years, Israel had been meeting in an old tent. Now, that was a beautiful tent, to be sure, but it was a tent. And he said, it is long time past where we can have a beautiful place to serve God. Give my child a hunger to serve God. I'm always amazed at folks that want to put their child in the best schools and the best this and the best that without any thought of serving God. This last week, students at Pepperdine University, a quote, Christian university, went up there and ripped crosses off the wall because they said it offended them. And the parents will do all they can to send their child to a $50,000 a year Pepperdine University. Folks, they said, the kids said it triggered them. <laughs> it triggered them. Folks, what kind of craziness. Folks, we ought to teach our children how to serve God as homemakers and fathers and good godly salesmen and nurses and, and contractors and whatever the case, but that they would live for God. Paul said the secret to life, look what it says in Romans 1.17. Herein is the righteousness of God revealed. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. A lifestyle of faith. A lifestyle of faith. Would that characterize your lifestyle? If people looked at your lifestyle, would they say, well, I'll tell you one thing. He's all about God. She's all about God. A lifestyle of faith, of religion, of God. Folks, church is meant to be something that we, and God is meant something that we serve with our life. God give my son, God give my daughter a heart, a sensitivity to sin, a love for the word of God. Give them, oh God, a heart to serve God. I pray this prayer over my children and grandchildren and others so often. So many people forget what we are here for and what the purpose is for these children and our what we're doing in their life. I want to read to you a poem as we close. It's called Sacrificial Love. It's a tremendous poem written by Ruth Bell Graham. Here she talks about how that we look at children one way, trying to keep them from, you know, any kind of problems in life, only to realize that God wants to use them. Had I been Joseph's mother, I'd have prayed for protection from his brothers. God, keep him safe. He is so young, so different from the others. Mercifully, she never knew there would be slavery in prison too. Had I been Moses' mother, I'd have wept to keep my little son, praying she might forget the baby drawn from the water of the Nile. Had I not kept him for her nursing the while, was he not mine? she but Pharaoh's daughter. Had I been Daniel's mother, I would have pled, give victory this Babylon horde, godless and cruel. Don't let him be a captive. Better dead, almighty Lord. Had I been Mary, 
Oh, had I been she, I would have cried as never mother cried. Anything, oh God, anything but crucified. So often as parents, we look one way and God looks at something quite different. What is God looking for? God is looking for those who will stand in the gap this morning. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. I sought for a man among them, the prophet said, that should make up a hedge and stand in the gap before the land that I should not destroy it. Hedge makers, gap standers. Who are those that are standing in the gap for this next generation? I will tell you who they are. They are those who are praying these four powerful prayers. They are those who are standing in the gap because what we can't do just by talking, by what we can't do by just, you know, making them do things, we can do by crying out to God these prayers. That's what the elders of Nehemiah's had. In Nehemiah's day, they had a faithful heart to pray. Nehemiah 9 and verse 8, and found his heart faithful, speaking about Abraham. Oh God, give me a faithful heart. A Christian father saw his two-year-old daughter pulling his Bible by the case handle across the floor. She drug it there, pulled it in front of a tall table. He was about to take it from her, saying you shouldn't do that. When he said he felt the Lord say, stop for a second. I'm showing you something. So he stopped, didn't say a word. She took the Bible. She laid it on the floor. She then stood on the Bible and reached up and got something off of the tall table. He said at that very moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. If you will put my word under her so she can stand on it, she will reach things she never could have reached without it. Folks, let's get the word of God under our children, our grandchildren and others by praying for them. Let's bow for a word of prayer if you would. Our worship team is coming. We're going to open the altar up for those who would like to just say, yes, Lord, I want to be part of those who stand in the gap. And pray. If you're here this morning and your plan is to dedicate your child to the Lord, then you could leave uh, at this moment right now to slip out, go get your child, and bring them back into the services here. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.